You know, one of the things, I say this a lot, but one of the things I love about our fellowship is that I get to join a chorus of other voices standing up here. So there's not like a, a preacher and a message and then all this like icing here. You're going to find that, that here in this fellowship, it's like, a, it's like a leadership incubator. It's like a leadership factory. If leaders were chicken nuggets, this would be a chicken nugget factory. You know, you know what I mean? So chicken nuggets would be coming out left and right. So new leaders are rising up and we are supporting each other and praying for each other and getting behind and beside each other as we rise up in leadership. And every single person in this room has touched this fellowship in a leadership way. And I praise God for that. I praise God for the humble way that I can be amongst a bunch of great leaders. One of those I want to recognize this morning, we do this every once in a while too, is my brother Angus over here, Angus and Lindy together. Um, you'll notice that we have more live music these days, which is so cool, right? What we're going to do is starting in October when we start our new fall discipleship series called Follow, is we're going to actually add a closing song to the end of the service. So we're going to trim five minutes out of the first 10 minutes of our worship experience here. What we've been doing in the first 10 minutes is taking time for small talk. So we can eat donuts and hang out and have coffee and drink water and talk with each other and catch up on what's going on in the week on a very surface and entry level. That's a conversational skill. We're going to trim that time back to about five minutes, and we're going to add that five minutes onto the end of the gathering so that we can have a live closing worship song. So what that means is six months ago, we had one live song, and now we're moving to three live worship songs, plus a Pied Piper song that brings everyone in <laughs> from the front, plus closing walkout music. I just want to say thank you publicly to Angus for your leadership, for rising up. And by the way, as a closing note, uh, he has not led on piano and sung together before in his musical life, before this experience. So I'm blown away by that. Now I'm going to tell you what, if you, if you want to grow as a leader in Jesus, do something that scares you just a little bit. That is a prime example of what that's like. And I just, I love that. I just praise God for that. So that's so cool. Well, let's dive into our message, uh, the, the third part of our message. I'm going to be so bold to say that today. This is the last part of our message because God is using a number of our leaders to speak through us in this group, right? Let's dive into the last part of our message today. I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just pray with me. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you for this series. Thank you for Mirror Mirror. Thank you that we not only get to take a look at ourselves and see us the way you see us, uh, but we also get to step back and, and figure out why with you. We get to hear your voice. Uh, we get to hear you speak into who we are in your eyes. And no matter the, the, the ways that we see ourselves when we look in the mirror, we can come away with assurance that you bring every single week, uh, not only with Sunday, but the scripture that we study through the week in small group in our own devotions. We can hear your voice saying, no matter what you see in the mirror, my child, I see this in you. I see promise and I see power and I see the work of the Holy Spirit. And I see one who has been chosen and set apart for great things. So God, as, as we look into the past a little bit and look at the mess of our lives and, and look at what that means in the 
current context and what plans you have for that mess, uh, we know that that mess is masterpiece from your point of view. So let us hear a little bit more on that subject from you. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. All right, let's pull our scriptures and I'm going to pull my remote and our scriptures here. And we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 as has been so well read in the fellowship this morning. What I want to do is share with you a different version. And guys, again, as we often say, the reason that we study different versions of Scripture and hear the Scripture read several times and from several different versions, points of view, is because not many of us are Greek scholars. Now, if you want to become a Greek scholar and go to school and do that, that's awesome. You could do that, and that would just add power to what we're doing in our word study. Most of us are not Greek scholars, including myself. And so the way I approach the scripture is I try to look at it from different versions, perspectives, because those writers were used by the Holy Spirit to bring that perspective. And that was why that was printed. So we're going to look at two or three different versions as we have the scripture read. And every single one of them brings a unique perspective. Here's NIV. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from who? Yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that we earn, so that no one can boast. So the way that the gospel is disseminated, the way the good news is disseminated in a balanced and proper way is that God has done everything that is required to save you and me. Nothing else is needed, just the blood of Jesus. And that was given on the cross. And history has confirmed that that historically happened. It really did happen. And Jesus really did rise from the grave. And he really did rise miraculously up to heaven. We know that that's true because God did it all and for the express purpose so that we cannot boast. In other words, we are not in a position to come back to the world and say, I did something to save myself. I decided something. I accepted something. I did something. I stepped through a hoop in order to become acceptable to God. God erased every possibility of that and put that very clearly in the scripture that we're reading together. Is that agreed? Amen. Which by the way, amen just means I agreed with what you just said. So that no one can boast is the key. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in other words, God is a planner. God works in the details. God has always had a plan from afar, and he's always worked his plan. He's had his plan come through history so that you and I can be a part of it. And as we understand that we are a part of God's plan, we begin to allow him to receive the glory for that plan. You see how this works? It's a very cyclical style. But what I love about this, as expressed in this picture of Jesus holding his hand out, which by the way, we're going to study the process through which uh, this artwork came into being here in a minute. The idea is that God has created this handiwork or what the scriptures not only will call handiwork in you and me in each of our lives, but also what the scripture calls a masterpiece. A masterpiece is the 
same, it's, it's the same word that's used in the original language there, but it's rendered as masterpiece instead of handiwork. Masterpiece literally leans back upon the idea of an, a picture of, of, of art being made from scratch and being created out of nothing. A masterpiece is something that a master artist puts together with some kind of material and does that from scratch out of nothing. And so when we look at masterpieces in the, in the world of art, we kind of see them in this way. What I'm showing you now is a picture of Jordan Blake. Uh, Jordan Blake, if you were around at the very beginnings of South Naperville, Jordan Blake came and blessed a group of us, excuse me, who put together an art and music show about a year and a half ago. And he came and he did this portrait, this masterpiece uh, that you're going to uh, recognize as familiar in a couple of minutes. And he did this a piece at a time as we watched him do it live along with some live music that was being played. Now, what I want to add for perspective here is the idea that what you're going to see on the screen, and if you're listening by podcast, what you're seeing is a blank canvas that's about four foot by four foot square, and a young man is painting some random looking markings in different random looking colors on different parts of the canvas. So you can't really see anything that makes any sense just yet. But what you're going to see as he continues to paint on here is what looks like an increasing, uh, ever-growing amount of mess on the screen. As you see that, if you're listening by podcast, you're looking at more colors almost randomly placed across the screen. It doesn't look like anything that resembles anything yet. But then as you get to about the sixth picture here, you're noticing that some stuff is starting to take shape. Now, how was Jordan Blake able to visualize what he wanted to see in the end and then put what looks like a bunch of random colors on a canvas in spots that to you and me might look completely and utterly random and messy and come up with something that looks even more dramatic, excuse me, and starts to take shape into something that's recognizable. In fact, as, as you get to the end, it becomes a little bit more clear that this guy's gifted and that there's an art form taking place here and that something that looks like mess is now coming together and forming not chaos but what order and if you look at the way the world began we who crazily believe that we didn't happen by uh, accident or happenstance or circumstance, but by the design of God, understand through real science that God took a whole bunch of mess and did what with it? Brought it together in perfect order. This is the way the character of God works. And so the question becomes, why would God not do that with you and me? Why would God give birth to us in the faith expecting us to be perfect? from day one. He doesn't. He doesn't expect that of us. In fact, not only does he allow us to not be perfect, but he celebrates and works in the imperfection. He takes the mess of my life, the failed finances, the divorces, the failed relationships, the jobs I've lost, the places and people that I've lost and have left me and then have lost me. 
He takes all those things that make me feel bad about myself and he swirls them together and he blows them out on the screen of my life and he creates something of beauty and power. This is the way the character of God works. He's always been that way. He's not going to change that. Why? Because he's a master and he works through art the art of you and me. Look at the way this works. Here's the finished piece. By the way, I don't know if you've ever been out to the tech, Trinity's early childhood center. It's in a building at 95th and Book Road in Naperville. The finished product is hanging on our wall out there. And it's beautiful to see, uh, beautiful to stand in front of and especially to back away from and to see the big picture, see all these colors come together. Look again at the scripture that we've been studying and look at the back half of it. It says, for we are God's handiwork or masterpiece. Look at these words, created in Christ Jesus. You were created again through Jesus. You were reborn for what purpose? To do good works. Now the scripture just said that we don't come into the faith by the power of our own good works, right? It's written right up there on the screen. We don't come into the faith and become acceptable to God by the works we do. However, when God brings us into the faith and takes that mess and turns it into order, pulls it together, the reason he does that is so that he receives the glory for creating a masterpiece in us and so that we can participate in good works and in blessing other people with the mess of our lives that has become a masterpiece in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the world. Now, what does that mean? That means, that means that the stuff you went through and maybe even the stuff you're going through now is a part of his plan. Now, did God make you get into the mess you're in if you're in a mess right now? No. Did God allow you to get into the mess you're in if you're in a mess right now? Yes. Did God allow you to get into the messes you got in when you were in your 20s? Can you remember those days? What about in your teens? Jorge's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, think back to the time when your life spun out of control and came undone, as a lot of songs say in popular culture. Think about that time when your life fell apart and you felt like you were in a big fat mess. Guess what? You were, and God loves you, and he allowed it. And the reasons he allowed it may be mysterious to you. They may be mysterious to all of us. But you must understand, my friend, you must understand that that mess you were in or are in now is a part of the masterpiece that you are in the hands of a master. God's character will never change. He is the worker of miracles out of chaos. He is the worker of masterpieces out of messes. He is the one who brings together when all else falls apart and spins and comes undone. Look at what the scripture says a little bit further on this. In Peter, God says this, do not forget this thing, dear friends, with a, the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
Now think about repentance for a second. Repentance literally just simply means going in this direction and then turning and going the opposite direction. That's all it means. So if there's something in your life that's taking you away from God, the Holy Spirit convicts your conscience and you think about that and you think, you know what, that's not from God. So now by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna turn and go in this direction, which means I'm simply gonna leave that false God and I'm gonna go to who? The true God. Now that's with finances, with relationships, with work, with school, with addictions, with habits, with speech, with thoughts. If those things don't come from God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now say we can move in a different direction. And it's the Holy Spirit who does that work in us, right? So that the Holy Spirit gives God the glory for that change. I cannot have the glory for that change. It's not due to me. It's due to the God who loves me and saves me, right? But here's how the Lord works that. He doesn't see this so much in time. He knows that the end of time is coming and that he is allowing people to experience his love and his grace as long as possible until the last day comes. And so that's why God works with the messes of our lives in real time. God doesn't shut us off and require us to be perfect here on this world. Thanks be to God. He takes what we are and he works with us as we are and changes us and reorients us, creating a masterpiece in here. Let's look at a little bit further what that might mean. <clears throat> the idea is like this. I don't know if you've ever driven a Hummer H2. Angus probably has, he works in the industry. I never have, but I always chuckle a little bit when that commercial comes on, the satisfying crunch commercial. Have you guys seen that where the guy's driving like the H2 and he, he crashes and the guy that, you know, has like a lesser car or a moped or, a, you know, or like a skateboard or something's chewing on a, you know, a candy bar that he's crunching into, you know, and he takes a bite and it's like a satisfying crunch. But the guy that crashes the H2, that was like a satisfying crunch too, because the guy was like running around the neighborhood with his windows down and his radio on and like being really rude and driving around. That doesn't really have anything to do with the type of car he's driving, but the commercial was funny because of the irony of it, right? The reason is, is because the H2 is supposed to be a really good vehicle. It's a four by four vehicle. I think it gets something like a stellar nine miles to the gallon. So it is not there for fuel efficiency. So there's something about the vehicle that's there for the designer effect of it, okay? Here's what we do with the design of our lives and with the design that God has given us. We do something like this. We take a look at the life of holiness and godliness that we were called to live and being a part of God speeding the end of times and wrapping himself around and redeeming the entire world. And we know that we're God's handiwork created in him to do good works, which were prepared in advance like somebody who made this Hummer H2 with a design, they didn't just randomly throw it together with a bunch of Hummer parts, right? They designed the thing from scratch and then built it. But here's what we do with it. We like to take the Hummer of our life and hitch it up to uh, a trailer hitch of horses. This is an actual Hummer H2 that was modified to become a stagecoach. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that to a Hummer H2? There's only one reason, to save gas. Okay, there's that. 
But this is what we do with our lives because we are sinners. Remember Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago? We're not sinners because we sin, right? We are sinners and therefore we sin, right? It's a part of the human condition. But this is what we tend to do. We take God's masterwork and his, his uh, handiwork and masterpiece and we, we shanghai that. We uh, cut it off at its knees. We truncate it. We put it behind horses instead of it letting it blaze through and spend through all nine miles per gallon to get over all those hills and mountains and valleys that he's made us to do. Do you see the analogy? We take what God has designed and we cut it off at the knees through sin. This is why Jesus saved us. And this is why God is patient. Because he wants to take this and restore it to what he originally creatively intended, which is a masterpiece. And the way he does that is by taking the mess of life as his paint on the canvas of your life. He takes something that looks like splotches, craziness, and disorder, and then makes something beautiful out of it. And the beautiful thing that he makes out of it is literally this. It is the face of Jesus in your mess. Now, let me ask you a question. What better place to display the redemptive power of a savior than in a place and in a person who needs redemption? What better place than a, uh, to, to display the power of someone who saves than in the life of somebody who needs saving? That is why God works through your mess. That's why he allows you to have it. That's why you still have some of it. Because he is God and you are not. And because his power and his love and his glory may shine through you and your mess. So that in the end, people see who? Yeah, they see you. But they also see who? Jesus. All over you. Now, as I stand at the tech and I look at this, it, look back at this print, and this is probably what it looks like if you're standing about three feet from it. If you look at it close enough, you could see red, blue, green, orange, black, all kinds of stuff, and you could focus on one of those colors. Like, look at the green, for example. See that green? It's like a sea green. If you focus on that green, do you see anything? No. So if you focus on your divorce, you see the big picture? No. Look at the red over here. You see the red? It looks like there's more red on there, but does that red look like anything? No. So if you focus on your financial failure, do you see the big picture? No. But look at it in context. See the whole thing and step back. And whose face do you see? You see Jesus, right? And on the same token, you see him lifting you up out of it and reminding you who you are in him. Now, this is not a pat answer for Christians to non-Christians, but this is evidence that God loves you 
and has a purpose for you and has a plan for you as you are. And when God works in that and through that, it's undisputable. The mastery of the work is irrefutable. So as we close this part of the message today, I want to ask you to think about, uh, so we get ready to receive the kids back here, I want to ask you to think about this. Think about what the messes are in your life. Even if your life has been stellar and perfect from a surface point of view for 25 years, think about the messes you've been involved with. Think about the decisions you've made that were ungodly. Think about the things that happened to you that were not your fault, but still resulted in a mess. Think about all the altercations in life that you've gotten in with other people that didn't have a clean, happy ending, that didn't turn out all shiny and nice and clean. Think about those for a moment. And then step away from them and see them in the context of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Let's pray and ask God to do that power and that work in us right now. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for helping me to take a look at the mess and to not be afraid to do so because sometimes I step away from it and I really don't know what I'm looking at. Thank you for reminding me of what I see. I see something that is in process, a masterpiece that is the work of your hand. And I thank you for being in charge and for being supreme and for being perfect and for being holy and for saving someone like me so that I can know what it's like to have Jesus look me in the eye, stick out his hand, and pull me up out of the mess so that I can join the masterpiece of who he is. I thank you so much, God. And I ask that you come now and be worshiped and glorified as I sing, as I reflect to you in response to this. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.